morning, Hatsamea. Are you able to see the screen? Yes. Okay, great. Yes. The third chapter of this chapter is perhaps the the one chapter that is most outdated in the entirety of Mishneh Torah. It's based upon uh, Ptolemaic science, actually the most advanced version of Ptolemaic science of the time. So Ptolemy was uh, he, he was a Greek scientist, and he let, let me see if I can pull out. If, if you, what, what screen are you seeing right now, the Mishneh Torah or the other one? Mishneh Torah. Let me switch screens. Okay. This here is a model that at the time of Haramban was already a little bit outdated. But as you can see, this is what um, the, in the Middle Ages the, they thought the world looked like. At the center you have the Earth. Around it, as you'll see, you have the Moon, the sphere of the Moon. This is like an onion, it's a 3D uh, ball with, with layers, okay? Then you have the Sun, and so on and so forth. As you can see here, Sol here, this is the Sun, Mars, Etc. Etc. This is a little more outdated than the one Haraban is going to describe, but uh, at the very essence, all the models up until up until um, Copernicus really were some variation of this model. That's how they saw the world, and um, believe it or not, the observations that, that they had were pretty accurate. Not in all models, but in some models they were pretty accurate. Harambam, uh, we have to say to his credit, all the models in which which he subscribed to were the most accurate models. And in terms of observable movement in the cosmos, uh, the model was, was spot on. It was really, really, really accurate. And they could and did predict the movement of, of the planet planetary orbits that we can see uh, to the naked eye. They not only observed it, but they predicted it. And by the way, on the basis of those predictions, they built this model. It's not like they built the model and it happened to coincide. But the model that was meant to reflect centuries of observations um, and, and explain, for example, why you see Venus in certain nights and not in others. Um, so just I wanted you to have a taste of what we are about to read. This is more or less what we are going to be calling Galgalim. Um, I do not feel the need to try to justify Harambam or to read him in, in a way that makes more sense for our current scientific understanding. Um, some people do. I, I don't. I think Harambam himself would definitely change this chapter. But I, I do want us to, from an, an epistemological standpoint, just because it's important for, for people who think like the Torah to understand why they know what they know, epistemology, why you know what you know, 
I want us to be aware that the current models that we have that try to explain the movements of the galaxies, etc., have tremendous holes in them. And there is very few things that we know for a fact. And those few things have not changed all that much over the years. Um, so, uh, of course, uh, many of you might know, the way the galaxies move, the acceleration of the galaxies, cannot, cannot be explained simply by the amount of mass that we calculate those galaxies have. You took all the stars, all the observable matter in a galaxy, and you plug in, you model how fast it should be moving, how, how much it should be accelerating, you'd have a much different figure than what you actually observe. And this leads scientists to speculate that there is something out there called dark matter. There is something that, that is matter, it's massive, but at the same time it does not interact with light, which is why they call it dark matter, uh, which means it's invisible. It's pretty funny because it's like saying it's scientists pretty much telling us there is something out there that we think exists but we cannot prove, and we cannot see, and you cannot see, and you'll never be able to see by definition. It's dark matter, but that's that's the story behind dark matter. It's a it's a pretty widely accepted theory, but it's only a theory. It's only a theory, and what we know that again epistemology. What do we know? What we know, what scientists know, is the speed of the galaxies. What they know is the acceleration of the galaxies. What they know is the mass of the galaxies. They do not know whether or not there is something out there called dark matter. Now, if in Harambam's time, they attributed the movement of the cosmic objects to the rotation of these invisible spheres, which by the way, as you'll see also, it's, it sounds very, very much like dark matter. It's the kind of a material that is not measurable by by human experience, by the human eye, etc. I don't think there is much of a difference. I don't think there is much of a difference between saying that there are actual spheres that move the galaxies within them to saying that there is a kind of a substance called dark matter which you cannot see or measure, etc. So just have that in mind as we read this chapter. And with that, Halakha Aleph. And these spheres, the spheres that control the movement of the stars, are the ones that are called Shamaim, Rakia, Zebul, and Arabot, the names of, this, uh, of four of these spheres, of these layers. There is nine of them. The closest to us is the one that has the moon in it. The one that's uh, beyond that one is the one that has a star in it that's called star, Kohav. This is what in English is called the northern star. And the one that's above that, the third one from us, is the one that has Venus in it. Obviously, we know this is not the case. There is no star that's closer to us than Venus, of course. The fourth one is the one that has the sun in it. The fifth one has Mars. The sixth one has Jupiter. 
גלגל שביעי שבו שבתאי, סטרן, וגלגל שמיני שבו שאר כל הכוכבים שנעים ברקיע, the eighth one is the one that has everything else that you see. Of course, things were, are too far away for us to notice that they move, that they move not uniformly. So if you see, if you take five stars that are, each of them, 9,000 light years away, um, you are not going to be able to, to tell that, uh, that they are not in the same rakia, that they are not part of the same sphere. From the point of view of Earth, they indeed move like one unit, because it's not they that, that, that is moving, it's, of course, the Earth that is moving with them serving as the background, static background. But the way, this is the model that they believed in, eight layers, sort of like peels of an onion, each of them has within it each of these cosmic uh, bodies. And then the Galgal Tashi'i, and then the nine sphere is in their model, in their mindset, the primary force that trickles down until it reaches Earth. So it's more or less a mechanical model. This, the, the, the ninth one, which is not shown here, a ninth rakia, a ninth layer, would be not uh, filled with stars or anything. The stars are until here, but it will it would be the one that moves, and by its movement, it, the 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 inner spheres also get their energy, and they move until this reaches Earth. Again, no need to twist ourselves into a pretzel to try to make sense of it in our terms. And this ninth sphere is the one that surrounds everything and encircles everything. The fact that you see all the stars as though they all belong to one single sphere. Because these spheres that we are talking about are totally invisible. They are transparent, like glass, like crystal, sapphire. And that's why you could see uh, the stars that belong to the eighth sphere as though they were under, closer, or in the first sphere. So what I take from here is not the scientific model. What I take from here is um, Harambam Harambam uh, having this very clear mind, very scientific mind, and he is explaining that things are not the way they seem. This statement is true. This statement is universal. This statement of don't take things at the naked eye. Understand that the way you see things may not be the way things really are. That is extremely important. That's the point he's making here. Each one of these eight spheres, and this is the modification that I said is not in this model, um, each one of these layers of these peels has in itself more um, inner, more peels that, that make, that comprise this larger peel. Each of these layers, 
and and some of them uh, move from east to west, some from west to east. Uh, and this was meant. This modification was meant to explain some of the of the movement within a layer. So if you have one layer, and if you only had one layer, and you saw the stars moving, then they should all move at the same direction, the same speed. But after a few generations of observing, they realized that there is movement of stars with respect to each other within one same field, which could only be explained if this field was divided into other fields, each of which moved independently from the other. And there is no empty space. There is no empty space. This is another, another belief that they had, that there is no empty space uh, in, in the universe. Dale. This galgalim, these spheres, are neither light nor heavy. Again, very interesting. Like today, we believe that there is something out there that does not react to gravity or, or, or to light, as we said before. And that's, that's tasked with the movement of the galaxies. It, it doesn't have ein means a hue, a color. It doesn't have a red color or a black color, color or any other color. And the fact that when we look up to the sky, we see blue. This is only an illusion. It's what we see to the naked eye. It's because of the height of the, of the air, or translated very freely because of the atmospheric pressure. They also have no taste nor smell because these are features, these are traits that only occur in bodies, in physical bodies that appear under them. In other words, in our own sphere. All of these spheres are 100%, they are perfectly spherical, and the land, the earth is hanging at the very center of them. And another adjustment also wasn't in our model. Within each of these spheres, not only are there more layers that move independently from one another, but also there is other spheres. So imagine a sphere here, and as this sphere moves, the other sphere moves with it. And if this sphere is turning around, and this sphere is turning around, the movement that you'll get, that you'll obtain, is going to be not spherical, but elliptical. So they were aware of elliptical movement. They just explained it in a circle within a circle. I'm not a geometrical genius, but I'm pretty sure that with a system of, spe of spheres that move independently from one another, you can create any form, any shape of orbit you want. There is an infinite configuration of orbits that you can have, which could explain, could explain the elliptical orbit that we actually observe of the, at least within the solar system. In other words, even without Copernicus, it could have had a pretty, pretty accurate depiction of the movement of the solar system. 
מספר כל הגלגלים המקיפים את כל העולם שמונה עשר. There is 18 spheres that actually surround all of earth, in other words, including the, the semi-peels within each of those peels. ומספר כל הגלגלים הקטנים שאינם מקיפים שמונה, there is eight uh, other spheres, the ones that, uh, that are like here, the ones that are not surrounding but are within one of those peels. There is eight of them. ומהלך הכוכבים בביעת שיעור סביבתם בכל יום ובכל שנה, ונטייתם לרוח צפון ורוח דלום ומדובהן מעל האלף וכלימתם. And from the way they walk, the, the stars, from, from uh, knowing exactly what their orbit is, uh, how much they advance every day and every year, and if they tend to the north or to the south, and how close or far they are from, the, from from, uh, from Earth, is what is, that is, all these observations is what leads us to the number of these Kalkalim and the way they move and the way they surround. In other words, Halambam is saying this is not uh, made up, number one, also it's not tradition, also it's not Torah, this is observation, this is pure scientific method we see, and then from what we see we make up a model that's supposed to describe it. This is astronomy, and, uh, and there were many uh, publications that were composed by Greek sages. The ninth, the ninth sphere, the one that surrounds everything, the frontier of the of the cosmos of the universe, the ancient the ancient scientists divided them divided this this sphere into um, twelve areas twelve areas. Kol chelik vachelik ha'elul Hashem al Hashem s'kudash atera'evo min akuchavim shelematta mimenu shemechuvanim tachtam. So let me just uh, show you again. It's not shown here, but the ninth sphere. Uh, imagine it's divided, it's not like that, but imagine it's divided into, into 12 equal areas, okay? So, by the way, everything we see in the cosmos that's true today also is, uh, is moving only east to west, not south to north for the most part, because that's the movement of the Earth. So if you think about it, as the Earth is turning every single night, and as it's going around the sun, it's going on the same, it's going almost on the same angle around the sun and, and around itself, which gives us a view of the cosmos that is pretty much uh, flat. Um, as an aside, the cosmos itself is pretty much flat. It's not, uh, that, that it's like a sphere. Um, and uh, this is consistent with what they used to see. So imagine here, in this uh, outermost sphere, that there is 12 areas, 12 sections, okay? 12 sections. That, that's what we are saying right now. And each of them, is going to have a random name. This is what, um, until today, in some uh, less uh, prestigious newspapers you can have in the, in the section called uh, horoscope or astrology. But uh, originally, this was not meant to, to, to be a, a, a something to predict the future. It wasn't something nonsensical. Originally, this was an actual scientific designation it was a division into sections that was supposed to help you understand 
where in the cosmos you were at that point in time in the year. So, כל חלק וחלק תחיילו לו שם על שם פקודה שתראה בו מן הכוכבים שלמטה ממנו שמכוונים תחתיו. So each one of these 12 sections in the outermost layer is named after the stars that you can see to the naked eye from Earth that, course, that, that is in the eighth, not in the ninth, but in the eighth sphere, right under it. והם המזלות, and this is what people call the, 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 the signs. ששמותם, that their name are Tale, Short, Yomim, Satan, Adye, Betulam, Ognaim, Akrab, Keshet, Kedim, Bli, Betagim. It's the same as in English, I'm not going to translate it. Galgal HaTashi'ai Atzmo, the ninth sphere itself. It's very important, why? Because it's the one that's moving everything else underneath it, remember. And that's the one that they believe is most uh, immediately affected by God's will. It doesn't have any of these sections, it doesn't have any, any markings in it, it doesn't have any star in it. Everything that we said about these signs, these 12 signs happens in the ואלו,שאתם,אסס,סורות,לו,היו,מכוונות,כנגד,אותם,החלקים,אלה,בזמן,המבול,אין,וואן,מור,סינג,אסס,ה,ה,ה,ה,ה,ה,ה,ה,
כל הכוכבים הנראים, all of the visible stars. יש מהן כוכבים קטנים, שהארץ גדולה מאחד מהם. There is some of them that are smaller than earth. Of course, not the case, you know, today. ויש מהן כוכבים שכל אחד מהם גדול מן הארץ כמה פעמים, and some stars are many times larger than earth. והארץ גדולה מן הירח כמו ארבעים פעמים. Earth is larger than, than the moon about 40 times, 4-0. והשמש גדולה מן הארץ כמו מאה ושבעים פעמים. Sun is larger than earth about 170 times. Uh, of course, we know this is not the case. נמצא הירח אחד מששת אלפים ושמונה מאות מן השמש בקירוב, which means that uh, the moon is about one out of six thousand eight hundred of the size of the sun. Just to give you, Haraman is trying to give you here a measure, a perspective of dimension, and how things that to the naked eye look the same, It really might be what in their time thought was 1 versus 6,800. Again, very important. It's not the actual conclusion, the conclusions we disagree with today, but let's respect, let's admire, let's adopt this attitude, this approach of not going by what we see. They look the same, the sun and the moon, same size. So similar in size, almost identical in size, that we can have an eclipse, one covering the other in an almost perfect fit, like we had a few weeks ago in New York. And yet, nevertheless, to have the open-mindedness to understand if the evidence leads you somewhere else, if by the movement you conclude that the size is different, go by what the evidence tells you, not by what, not, not by what your eye sees. That's very important. So I think that someone who concluded this, this, in the times of Harambam, using the right approach, they did use the right approach, in my view, he's more correct than someone who goes to school, opens the book, and knows exactly the size of the sun and exactly the size of the moon because the book says so. Because the book says so, without having made any observation of their own. So let's not pat ourselves in the back for knowing so much. It's not what you know, but it's how you know it. ואין בכל הכוכבים כוכב גדול מן השמש ולא קטן מכוכב של גלגל שני. In all the stars, the largest one is the sun, also we know it's not the true, and the smallest one is the northern star, which we also know is not true. י"א. כל הכוכבים והגלגלים כולם בעלי נפש ודעה והשכל הם. This is a little um, troubling because הרמב״ם insists in מורי הנבוכים that this is the, um, the opinion of, uh, of the healing of David HaMelech. <clears throat> which, okay, uh, and again, we don't need to accept it, but if you were to try to accept any of the halakhot of this chapter and try to adapt it to today, I would take this one. All of the stars and all of the spheres, they have cognition. They have cognition. Now, I mentioned um, one time that um, I don't know if the spheres these spheres have cognition or they don't have cognition. For all we know, they don't. For all we know, these spheres don't exist. I don't know if dark matter has cognition or not, but there is a very important point here. For the Western mind, if you see something behaving 
in a pretty orderly way? Do you see something behaving in a pretty predictable way? Do you see a person behaving in a very predictable way, in a very orderly way, consistent way? In, in the Western mind, the connotation is that that person is not very smart, he's not very intelligent. Intelligence, wits, smarts, is taken as synonymous with disobedience. That's in the Western subconscious. In the Jewish subconscious, in the Hebrew mindset, if you see something behaving perfectly, that means that that something or that thing or that person is of superior intelligence, not inferior intelligence. Intelligence, And that's the point that I think we should take from here. The fact that the stars and the moon and the sun and all the cosmos behaves in such a perfect, predictable, obedient way in the Jewish mindset should be a symptom of intelligence, not a symptom of, of uh, non-intelligence. Vehem Haim and they experience these uh, celestial beings, the Omdim and they exist and they appreciate or are aware of their creator. Each one of them, according to their greatness and their, and their level, they, they praise God, uh, their creator, like the angels. And again, we're not talking about neural activity here. There is thinking that can go on um, in a computer. There's thinking that can go on in other ways. We'll never be able to prove one way or the other whether there is experience, whether there is cognition, whether there is a um, science, as like spelled like science, but from the point of view of, of uh, understanding, um, in, in in something that's not biological. Just like they know God, they also know themselves. They know the angels that are above them in reality. And they, their awareness is, is higher than humans, but lower than angels. God created under, inside the sphere of the moon, a body, a piece of, of stuff, of matter, that is not made of the same stuff that, than the spheres. We're talking about Earth. There is four states of matter that, that this uh, substance can take. They are not like the, like the spheres. And this programming, this surah, this, this uh, configuration, these four states of matter um, is partially adapted by Earth. The first one, the fire, again, there is four states of being that they used to believe in, fire, earth, uh, wind, or, or, or air, and water, or liquid. Surat uh, Ha'esh, let's call it, uh, for our purposes, uh, plasma, the, the plasma or the gases that are uh, hot, hot gases, they, uh, so, uh, in, in its combination, when this configuration uh, attaches to matter, that creates fire. Wind, 
תפילה של אישית, תפילת המים מחבלה במצוותו לבנייה משלם גוף המים, that's water, ותפילה רביעית, the fourth one, תפילת הארץ, מחבלה במצוותו לבנייה משלם גוף הארץ, earth. י"ד, נמצא למטה מנרתי ארבעה גופים מוחלפים זה למעלה מזה, there is under the sphere of, of the moon, four kinds of, of matter, matter can have four forms, four shapes, and this is pretty much true, the, the matter that the substance we encounter, from coming one of four forms, solid, liquid, gas, or plasma. The way they used to believe this, though, is that um, there were further spheres inside here, each representing a different one of those programs, solid, gas, uh, liquid, and, and plasma, and So you have the stuff, the matter on Earth, and then it attaches to one of these programming and it forms the shape that we then see as a result. And there is a constant movement, they are very unstable, they move from one another. And this is all in, in the next chapter. Um, so the order that they go is the, the closest, the least, the least uh, um, heavy, just to use a non-scientific term, the one that is attached, that is least close to the center of the earth would be the, the fire, which we can call plasma. Under it, ruach, which is gas. Under it, liquid. And under it, solid. And there is nothing in between them. In other words, you can choose to be one of these four, you cannot choose to be anything else. But these four, these four forms, these four bodies, these four substances, unlike the stars, they do not have any cognition, they, they are like dead bodies. Manipulable. Their programming is not known to themselves, they don't know and they cannot change how to behave. וזה שאמר דוד, הללו את אדוני מן הארץ, תנינים וכל תהומות, אש וברד, הם what דוד המלך said in תהילים, as we say every single day, uh, praise God from the earth, uh, תנינים וכל תהומות, תנינים means the, the, the reptiles, the large reptiles, or large ocean creatures, וכל תהומות, and all the, the depths of the ocean, Esh Uvar, and then he goes on by saying, Esh Uvarar, Chelek Vektor Ruach Se'ar Alta Devaro, which could be understood as the four states of matter, Esh, that's fire, Barak Chelek Vektor, Barak and Chelek could be a solid, or Chelek could be the, the, the liquid, Barak is a hail, which is a solid, obviously, but Chelek could be liquid, Kitor Ruach Se'ara, Kitor is a, Steam, Ruach Te'ara is wind, Ofsa Devaro. So how, what does that mean? Does that mean that David HaMelech thought that, this, uh, that these things had a, a cognition to be able to praise God? This is how we have to understand this Pasuk. What David Amelech was really saying is you human beings need to praise God on account of this phenomena. None of this phenomena need to praise God. They cannot, they do not have the cognition, the mind, the experience, the intelligence to do so, but human beings do, and human beings can do that on account of them. So we'll stop here and we'll continue with Zat Hashem uh, the next chapter.